Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Casa GAL has announced a restructuring of its operation locally to become a program of the County Juvenile Court. Judge Kristen Johnson explains how this move will secure their ability to advocate for children who are in the system. Also this morning, there are many reasons inflation is at a 40-year high, including one that is commonly overlooked, the cost of increasingly sophisticated cyber attacks. And as summer begins to wind down, there's still plenty to do with programs and activities in the month of August. From the Hancock Park District, Michelle Rumschlag will tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022. If you need a reason to celebrate today, it is National Ice Cream Sandwich Day. And I can just stop right there. We don't need to go any further. It's National Ice Cream Sandwich Day. What else do you need? Uh, If that's not good enough for you, uh, it's Dinosaurs Day, National Coloring Book Day, and it is, of course, the National Night Out. Uh, Tonight, uh, communities all over the country, including uh, here in Findlay, I'll be uh, hosting uh, community evenings. and parks and in neighborhoods involving local law enforcement and uh, just general members of the community. The National Night Out program tonight, always the uh, first Tuesday of August. So, reasons to celebrate today. So, this is the other uh, one of the other big stories uh, yesterday. The independent arbitrator found that uh, Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson's conduct was more egregious than any before reviewed by the NFL. That was the quote. Deshaun Watson's conduct, more egregious than any before reviewed by the NFL. And because it was so darn serious, he deserved a six-game suspension. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I don't, I mean, this this was the thing that everybody was up in arms about yesterday. Uh, talking about whether six games was anywhere close to being enough. The league says no. The players' union, of course, they're happy with it. Um, And obviously, Deshaun Watson is uh, elated. The Browns have to be thrilled with just a six-game suspension. But the league may appeal this uh, independent arbitrator's ruling. Really, what was uh, interesting uh, was that uh, Sue Robinson, who is the uh, independent arbitrator, referred to the alleged assaults as, quote, nonviolent, unquote. So there were some eyebrows raised at that description of the the sexual assaults that uh, Deshaun Watson is accused of committing. Uh, She described them as nonviolent. And... as if that somehow makes it uh, makes it better. I don't know. Then she went on. She said it was the most egregious any before reviewed by the NFL, but uh, only deserving of a six game suspension and no fine, no fine either. So kind of interesting. We'll see if the uh, NFL appeals and where things go from there. So we always have something to uh, to always have to have something to be worried about. And here now, wait a minute. What did I hear about uh, June 29th? Apparently, was a little bit shorter uh, 
than most days. I think of an Earth Day as 24 hours, but apparently June 29th was the shortest day ever on planet Earth. It was 1.59 milliseconds shorter than normal because the Earth wobbled. Wait, what? The Earth, the Earth wobbled. What, what is? We live on a giant weeblo. We wobble, but we don't fall down. The Earth wobbled apparently on June 29th. Did you feel it? I did not feel it. Uh, the The day was 1.59 milliseconds shorter than normal because of this wobble. <laughs> well, all right then. That's just bizarre. I don't know how how do they know this? How do they measure this? I I don't know. Science is uh, is an amazing thing, but uh, normally an average day is eighty six thousand four hundred seconds, but uh, June twenty ninth, about one and a half milliseconds shorter because of a wobble. That's just a wobble. Um. Okay. And uh, here's uh, what we have to be worried about today. Is the universe, uh, the universe is just out to kill us. That's, that's what it is. It says here, high speed, and this is from the uh, website livescience.com. High speed solar winds from a hole in the sun's atmosphere are set to hit Earth's magnetic field tomorrow, triggering a minor G1 geomagnetic storm. <laughs> now, that, that doesn't sound... Like it's a good thing. That just sounds very bad. High-speed solar winds from a hole in the sun's atmosphere set to hit Earth's magnetic field tomorrow. <laughs> that, that just sounds like a doomsday line there, doesn't it? Uh, coronal holes are areas in the sun's upper atmosphere where electrified gas is cooler and less dense. Such holes are also where the sun's magnetic field lines instead of looping back in in on themselves, beam outward into space, enabling solar material to surge out in a torrent that travels at speeds of up to 1.8 million miles per hour. (laughs) This is sounding worse and worse. On planets with strong magnetic fields, such as our own, this barrage of solar debris is absorbed, triggering geomagnetic storms during which Earth's magnetic field gets compressed by the waves of highly energetic particles. <laughs> I, I'm still not feeling a whole lot better about this. These particles then trickle down to uh, magnetic field lines near the poles and agitate molecules in the atmosphere, releasing energy in the form of light. And this is, I mean, it's not as doomsday-ish as you might think, uh, it is true that a, a geomag- geomagnetic storm has the potential to cause fluctuations in power gri- power grids, impact satellite communications. A larger storm, and this is not going to be a larger uh, large storm. This is just a small one, minor storm. But a large storm uh, could disrupt the the internet. Could actually take out the internet for a time, and a massive. Uh, geomagnetic storm could like knock satellites out of the sky. Um, But this won't be anything like that. Um, 
It may interrupt your mobile devices, your GPS systems briefly tomorrow, but it will also create colorful auroras such as the Northern Lights. Uh, The Aurora Borealis will reach as far south as Michigan and Maine tomorrow as a result of this geomagnetic storm. So it's not not all doom and gloom. It just sounds like it there. It's kind of cool, actually. Have you ever seen the uh, Northern Lights? It is really, really amazing. I think years and years ago, uh, there was there. I, I I saw what I'm assuming was the Norm- Northern Lights. Um, it's not like I've seen them all, the, but uh, they were. You could see them in the sky here because of one of these big geomagnetic storms, and it's very rare. But I I did see that one time that uh, phenomenon. So it's pretty a pretty cool thing. Uh, and of course, I've seen uh, pictures of it and all of that, but to see it in person is pretty cool. So, uh, big day today. It is primary day. Now, in Ohio, it's the second primary day today. Uh, so, we vote on the things that we couldn't vote for the first time around because of the brouhaha over the congressional maps. So, they still don't have that settled, but the uh, maps that they're using uh, are in place. And so, uh, voting today, not going to be much to vote for. There are no issues on the ballot, but, and I think local. Uh, uh, statewide uh, election officials saying they're expecting a turnout of like 15%. It's going to be like very, it's going to be dead uh, at the polls. So you don't have to worry about a line uh, if you want to go vote today. Uh, The more interesting races, though, uh, will be in really a number of states have primaries. Michigan has a primary where Peter Meyer um. As a matter of fact, three Republicans who voted to impeach former President Donald Trump are about to find out what that means for their political futures. Peter Meyer of Michigan, along with uh, Representatives uh, Dan Newhouse of Washington, uh, Jamie Herrera uh, Butler, is that right, of uh, Washington State, uh, and Peter Meyer of Michigan face primary elections in their home districts. Uh, Liz Cheney is the other one... um, and Wyoming is going to have their their uh, primary uh, here in a couple of weeks, but uh, there were another four that retired rather than uh, face challengers. But uh, it, the case of Peter Meyer it's very interesting because uh, the because Democrats really have pulled a dirty trick. Now Peter Meyer was one that voted with Democrats to impeach Donald Trump. So how do the Democrats repay him? The Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, the DCCC, is funding ads supporting his challenger, who is a, an, an all-out uh, Trump supporter, because they feel he'll be easier to beat in the general election than Peter Meyer would be should he win his primary. So after siding with the Democrats... Against uh, Donald Trump, the Democrats repay Peter Meyer by attempting to primary him. Um, And this is one of the dirtiest tricks in politics. It's not uncommon for it to happen, but a lot of observers are looking at this and saying, especially if you if you keep saying that these MAGA candidates are a threat to democracy and then you throw money behind their campaigns 
just a wee bit hypocritical there. So that one will be an interesting race to watch in the state of Michigan today. Couple of other uh, interesting stories, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to uh, start off your day. Uh, we have a follow up on. You remember we talked about this and it was in the news. In Great Britain, they are coming up on the end of a, I think it was a six month study on the effects, the economic effects of a four day work week for employees as sort of the standard. The study involving thousands of workers in Great Britain uh, has concluded that many workers feel healthier, happier, and more productive when they switch to a four-day work week from the traditional five days. Uh, the workers committed to working 80% of their usual hours but maintaining 100% of their productivity. And uh, this is the largest study ever on the effects of a four-day work week. And uh, it suggests that it's a good idea, at least in the minds of workers. Many employee employers uh, are also, they said it was a uh, an adjustment, something that took a while to get used to, but they have settled into a routine. And uh, I saw a report, at least one company says there's probably a 75% chance that we stick with it um, after this experiment was uh, is over officially. Um so we'll see. I don't know if it will become standard, but it was brought one of those things brought on by the pandemic and uh, this research project. Uh, it's going well. Four day work week. As long as you get everything done, do it in four days. Interesting. I don't know if it'll uh, catch on there or if it will jump the pond to this country, but interesting nonetheless. And how about this? I saw this on the uh, on the newswire. A uh, new, uh, is this a, a website? Yeah, it says a new tool online called Mapbox shows the birthplace of significant people throughout the world. Uh, only one person shows up for each notable location. And so basically this becomes a site where you find out who the most famous person from your hometown is. Uh, the designer behind the website says they used a notability ranking algorithm uh, coupled with geographic locations to create the map. The notability ranking is based on Wikipedia data. So, I don't know, I just thought this was kind of interesting. It claims to identify the most famous person from every hometown. You can, around the globe, you can... Zoom in and out and go anywhere you want on the globe and find the most famous person from each uh, location. According to this website, I looked it up. According to this website, Findlay's most notable person is actor Mark Metcalf. <laughs> really? That's the uh, most notable person from Findlay. That's what they say. So, I don't know what that says about the veracity of the, <laughs> the website, but there you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Plenty of sunshine expected today with a high of 84. Just a few clouds tonight, low of 66. 
The Finley Police Department is asking the public for help in identifying some people accused of stealing from a gas station. The police department says the individuals you can see in surveillance pictures on the website entered the Speedway on Speedway Drive and stole a lot of lottery tickets and merchandise. Anyone who has information about the case should contact police or Crime Stoppers. Tipsters may be eligible for a reward. Again, you can see those surveillance pictures on our website. Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson has been suspended for six games for violating the NFL's personal conduct policy following accusations of sexual misconduct made against him by two dozen women in Texas. Watson, who played four seasons with Houston before being traded to Cleveland in March, recently settled 23 of 24 lawsuits filed by massage therapists alleging sexual harassment and assault during appointments in 2020 and 21. Dave James, Owen and News. Meantime, the Cleveland Rape Crisis Center says it's disappointed in Watson's suspension, saying six games isn't enough. They say it dangerously mirrors the flaws in the nation's criminal justice system and sends a grave message to communities. Get more on the website. Looks like the weather's going to be great for Finley's Flag City Night Out at Riverside Park tonight. Finley Police Officer Brian White says public safety professionals enjoy interacting with kids at the event. I have had kids that uh, I have interacted with in school say, hey, you know what, I'm going to join the police academy and uh, this is what I want to do, simply because those relationships that were built. Among other things, Night Out features free food and refreshments, live demonstrations and entertainment. We have video from last year on the website if you want to see what you'll be in store for this evening. The Putnam County Sheriff's Office is asking farmers and landowners to make sure their corn is not encroaching on intersections and making it difficult to see oncoming traffic. The Sheriff's Office says it appreciates the cooperation of farmers who have not been planning as close to intersections or even planning at an angle. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So now to our cover story this morning. Yesterday, Casa GAL of Hancock County announced a restructuring of their operation locally to begin a program of the county juvenile court. Judge Kristen Johnson is with us this morning to tell us more. Uh, first of all, um, let's talk a little bit about the what Casa GAL uh, is and and why it is so important for the court, what the court-appointed special advocates and guardians ad litem do? Well, they do an investigation um, into what the best interests of the child are. Mm -hmm. Um, They concentrate just on that issue, um, develop a relationship with the child, Mm -hmm. and they are the ones that make sure that no matter what is going on in the court, um, that we don't forget what the child, what their wishes are, what their needs are. I know that sounds a little strange, but, you know, in the court we're talking about parents and how parents can fix problems and Mm -hmm. and sometimes um with all of that going on and all the attorneys it it gets a little lost we want to make sure that that never gets lost that that's paramount so um, they're vital to the court process what happens if this program were not there if it were not there i would have to um use attorneys for this Mm -hmm. um attorneys i will say the Bar Association has stepped up like never before. Um, they have been helping out um, with this transition. They have been taking a number of cases, and they take these cases in addition to adult guardianship cases, all knowing that, you know, they're not, yeah, yeah. They're, 
they're not going to get paid like they typically do. They don't mm-hmm. take them for that. They don't take them to get paid. They take them because they care about the kids as well. Yeah. But they're overburdened. They're um, they're working just as hard. So it's really imperative that we have a volunteer and, focus. And you made the point in, in this announcement that was made uh, yesterday about this restructuring, you made the point that there has been, uh, over the past several years, a dramatic increase in the demand for... Uh, special advocates and, and guardians for uh, an increasing number of kids who are, quote-unquote, in the system? The the issues with the children have um, gotten much worse um, with, the, with the pandemic mm-hmm. and with the opiate epidemic, which is now meth involved. Yeah. Um, I can't say that the numbers have increased significantly. The needs of the children have increased significantly. Mm-hmm. So it's even more important to have somebody there to make sure that the child's getting you know, all of the services that they need. Well. Yeah. And, and from the very beginning, as critical as this program is, really from the outset, by its very nature, it, it's kind of uh, handcuffed or handicapped a, a little bit from the start because it's, because it's not out there. It's not like the Red Cross or uh, Hope House or, you know, many other uh, organizations. By the nature of what these... Uh, individuals do uh, it's not really well known uh, and that becomes uh, an issue when you're running a, a nonprofit. exactly we um, everything ACASA does is confidential mm-hmm. um, it's important to keep all of the issues with a child confidential for right. that child right so we can't you know take out a, a case that we do and 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 publish it like that right so uh, it's important that um, we make sure that we have a funding source that we can continue to fund. So this now will become a program of the juvenile court. Will that mean that it becomes a line item in the juvenile court budget then? It'll be, yep, yeah, a separate line item from my budget, but yes, included in my budget. Um, we will also we'll keep the nonprofit arm, so the board will continue. They will be a fundraising board. Um, and a PR board to make sure that everybody's aware of what CASA does, because that's obviously important. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have the support of Ohio CASA. They've been very supportive. I think there's a quote in um, the paper from them. Um, Doug Stevens, the director, is very supportive of a court um, model, which many orga- which many communities Yeah, use. that's what I was going to mention. This is not unusual, not mm-hmm. unique to Hancock County. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, this is a, a structure or a model that is used in many communities where this program exists. Exactly. And, and I would imagine for many of those reasons, because, uh, you know, it is, it, it is difficult to operate as a standalone nonprofit. It is. Um, many of the surrounding communities have the exact same model that that we're looking at doing, and we're going to be following their lead, um, their assistance. They've offered that as well. So, uh, so you mentioned that the the board will remain intact, and there mm-hmm. will still be a, a nonprofit uh, fundraising type uh, component to this uh, to uh, help meet the budget. What will the court's role be? What will your ro- your role be moving forward uh, with respect to this new structure? Then is it strictly budgetary or? Um, well, the the director, the executive director, would work for the court. Okay. Um, would report to my court administrator, um, and they would they would be in charge of ensuring that the volunteers are trained, that they have what they need to do their job. 
Um, but the volunteers would obviously not work for the court, and they would be the ones working the cases. And with respect to that, um, obviously it is uh, one of the main things that, that CASA has to con- continue to do uh, all the time to recruit additional volunteers and uh, bring people into the program, train those volunteers, because obviously – you know, it's this is not your not your normal type of uh, volunteer opportunity where you uh, you know just come in and, and donate your time. There's a lot of time that's involved, a lot of expertise that's involved. I would imagine there is. There's a full training, a 40 hour training that um, we would have any volunteer undergo, mm-hmm. um, and supervision and assistance, so that you you know you're not going to walk in. Yeah, you're not going to show up for a couple hours right. to get a T-shirt. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Not the way this works. Right. So, um, it, what is the need? I mean, are there are there sufficient numbers of volunteers now, based on the the caseload that you have? Um, are there is the need there right now? Well, there is a need for volunteers. Um, we currently only have two volunteers, so. Um, most of the cases were being taken on by staff and overworked staff. So this model will be a complete change from that. So we're looking to hire an executive director. And then once we have that executive director um, hired, we'll be um, doing a volunteer request out to the community. So hold all those people that want to volunteer and hopefully they're all listening to this right now. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Hold on for just a little bit. Give us a, you know, this is a, a lot of change in a couple of weeks. Here. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, what is kind of the timeline kind of take us through how this will work? So we, sh- we will be posting the position for the executive director by the end of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll be able to see that on our uh, county website and, uh, and other sources. Once we get that person hired, um, the first thing they need to do is uh, start recruiting volunteers and training volunteers. So you'll be seeing advertisements in that um, coming out, I would hope, uh, September-ish. Okay. For Let's talk a little bit about what what is required. What do I would imagine you need some sort of rudimentary understanding of the courts. It certainly don't have to be an attorney, but have to have some uh, basic understanding. Of, well, I don't think you do at all. No. Um, no. Um, you have to pass a background check because mm-hmm. you're going to have access to children. Right. Um, the, the 40-hour training will give you the background of what a court proceeding looks like, what you're expected, what your expectations are. And um, from there, the supervision should should handle the rest. We've talked about this uh, before uh, in, in talking about Casa GAL of Hancock County. Um, not going to uh, sugarcoat it, this is not an easy volunteer, uh, an easy way to volunteer. I mean, this is some work. It is some work. Um, obviously, you're going to probably have the heartstrings pulled some with uh, cases that you're going to see. We expect that the volunteer will handle one at the most two cases at a time. So it's so, you know, you can come in and do one case and see um, how you feel about it after that. Yeah. Uh, My hope would be um, that the attorneys would still continue with the, um, maybe the worst cases or the uh, dangerous cases, those type of things. I I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people are concerned about, uh, safety. So uh, safety is paramount. We want to make sure that everybody's Something safe. that you're cognizant of. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when, absolutely. When assigning uh, mm-hmm. special advocates and, and guardians ad litem to these uh, to these cases, um, not an easy way to volunteer, but incredibly rewarding, I would think. I think that uh, just one person can make a huge difference in a child's life. And we've heard um, 
child after child say that once they, you know, they reach yeah. adulthood, you know, if it weren't for that counselor, that coach, that CASA, mm-hmm. um, I would be a completely different person. Yeah. So you can make a huge difference. And this new structure takes effect uh, immediately as soon as you get the uh, director on board. Yeah. Um, yes. As soon as we get, it's actually taking place it's now. Taking so place now. yeah, it's, I mean, we, this is all kind of in flux and mm-hmm. um, I think happened over the last week, 10 days. So it's all new and we're working our way through it. But yeah, it's taking place right now. But the goal uh, obviously is to make sure that the program continues uh, into the future. And, and that's Absolutely. It's imperative uh, the, that it the bottom line. Again, uh, Judge Christian Johnson with us uh, this morning about the uh, restructuring of the local operation of Casa GEL of Hancock County. We have more information on our webpage. You can go to goodmornings.net uh, to learn all about it. Judge Johnson, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thanks for having it. me. Well, you don't need me to tell you that Americans are struggling under the weight of inflation, and economists will point to a number of reasons that prices are rising at a rate that we haven't seen in 40-some-odd years. But one contributing factor that doesn't often get mentioned is the impact of cyber attacks. Over the past couple of years, they have evolved into market-moving moments. Think about the cyber attacks on Colonial Pipeline and JBS Meats that disrupted supply for a time. And that is just the tip of the iceberg. Lemore Kessem is a principal consultant in cyber crisis management for IBM Security. Lemore, walk us through some of the cyber attack trends of 2022 and then kind of make the connection between those and the impact to consumers. How are these uh, impacting this broader supply chain? Right. So, you know, it's not a hard math to make. And you were saying uh, that cyber attacks are becoming more expensive than ever. We're standing at $4.35 million per attack. This is a global average. It's 13% higher than uh, over the past two years, the the price of attacks has risen. Uh, And they've evolved into market stressors, just like COVID and other things. And you mentioned some very famous or rather infamous attacks. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is causing us to have a cyber tax where businesses are passing on some of the cost of a breach to the consumer. And a lot of businesses are stretched thin because of the pandemic or from rising costs to the supply chain, again, higher than they've been in 40 years. Then comes along a cyber attack. It's typically unexpected. It's very costly, and it adds millions of dollars in losses to that equation. And with these factors combined, costs are being rolled directly over to consumers. 83% of businesses also said it didn't just happen once. You know, they've had multiple attacks in the in their, you know, existence hmm. and they had to roll costs over more than once. So this is a major thing that we took away from the report this year. So what uh, so what have we learned from these attacks? Uh, have we learned anything that can uh, make us uh, better protected from them moving forward? Well, it's. You know, learning from attacks is an important step is looking at what attackers are doing and how they're doing it. It's called also threat intelligence in the uh, in this industry Uh, and really just, you know, like anything else, you want to know what you could be hit with. Right. And prepare Mm -hmm. what we should be doing better is really focusing our efforts on detection and on response. So detection is you want to know what when something happens as soon as it did. Right. As, As fast as you can. And there are different ways to do that. And we also want to be prepared, a lot more prepared, meaning, you know, if there's certain attacks that we see repeating, especially in our sector, or maybe we're a critical infrastructure sector and we're getting, you know, even executive orders from the president, 
you know, listen to those uh, warnings and look at what we can do to prepare. Preparing is having a plan in place, a very detailed plan. It's called an incident response plan and also drilling that plan. So just having the plan and then shelving it and it collects dust is not the way, right? We have to also drill it and make sure everybody knows their role, what they're going to do when that rainy day comes. Um, and also for ransomware, you know, ransomware attacks, a third of all the attacks came from ransomware or destructive attacks. So these are major things, very costly to recover from, and very lengthy. These attacks linger because it takes long to get back to, to business as usual. Have a playbook, meaning a plan that's specific for ransomware attacks, because these attacks are going to call into action your CEO, even your board is going to call and say, what is going on? What can I do to help? And what do I have to say to the regulator? Or, you know, all those kinds of things. Yeah. So having that in place is a major thing in preparation. Now, you talk about having the plan in place, thinking about these possibilities, because chances are good that your business is going to be victimized by one of these. But what should what should that plan include? Um, you know, I hear you saying we need a plan to respond to these, but how? What 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 should we be doing? We should be doing something called a risk assessment. You know, it's it's getting together with the uh, the technical teams and the companies. Uh, CISO or whoever is in charge of security and really thinking through the scenarios, what is most likely to happen to our organization and the sector and geography we're in? What is happening to other companies like us, you know, and how should we respond and, and how fast? For example, in Europe, you have uh, privacy regulation that says you have to tell them within 72 hours. So you have 72 hours to get all the information you possibly can together and report. And if you miss that deadline, you will get fined. And, and regulators all over the world, in the United States as well, will find companies that are late in reporting. And so understanding, okay, my plan is that within this time, uh, you know, a week, I have to let the regulator know because of privacy laws in my state. Um, I also have to let the FBI know, whatever the case may be, right? For ransomware is a crime. You have to let them know. Um, how about if I want to pay a ransom? Hey, wait a minute. The OFAC says that it's a federal crime. So all these things have to be known in advance and decided in advance. And a lot of stuff goes into the plan. The plan starts with what defines, you know, you having to launch it into action. Mm -hmm. And so you go from there. So one important thing, I think, uh, to mention when we talk about planning for an attack and the likelihood that uh, any business, small or large, is going to be the victim of an attack at some point because these are getting more pervasive and more sophisticated – that doesn't mean that we pay any less attention to preventing one to the extent that we can. Absolutely. We want to be preventative. We want to educate every employee in the company. There's something called role-based training, right? So different people, different roles need different training. Your CFO or accountant needs a different training because cyber criminals are going to target them differently. And so doing training for everybody in the company, doing awareness campaigns, making sure everybody understands security, security policies in the company, um, making sure there are good password policies. Mm -hmm. So if somebody, a cyber criminal stole somebody's password, if it expired after two days, and they're in a better place than if it's a never expiring password. Mm -hmm. Or if there is a administrator that can access just about everything, you know, especially in small companies, it's that one person. 
So make sure that that administrator cannot log in without a second factor. So they have at the very least an application on their phone with numbers that switch every 30 seconds or whatever. So the password is not the end all. Those are just very, you know, small basics that they can do to prepare a bit better uh, before something happens at prevention, right? Um, and of course, there's security solutions. You can use threat intelligence. You can use a lot of automation. You can do a lot of things in terms of putting security into place in a company. Um, there's also a concept called zero trust that limits what a person can access, it has to be in the right context, it has to be very mm. contained, and it kind of segments their ability to go all over the place in the network. This has been one of the top things recommended by the executive order by the Biden administration last year. And so, uh, for example, critical infrastructure organizations are being urged to start using that a lot more. Um, and, you know, it's the stuff that doesn't have to cost anything. It's a doctrine. These are the things that help us prevent attacks. The bottom line is we have enough things that are driving up prices for consumers and the cost of doing business. We don't need this to be one of them. And as we said, uh, cyber attacks in and of themselves uh, can uh, disrupt the supply chain and contribute to be another factor in uh, driving up uh, inflation overall. So very important reason to start thinking about this holistically. Again, uh, Lamore Kassem is a uh, Principal Consultant at Cyber Crisis Management for IBM Security. You have more information uh, about this report, more uh, information for businesses of all sizes at your website, right? We do. So you just go to ibm.com slash security, or if you're looking for the report, you can search it on any search engine at cost of a data breach. That's the name of the report. Lamore, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Big vacation season uh, this time of year. Imagine coming home from vacation and realizing that you had a stowaway in your luggage. An Austrian woman returned from Croatia and found 18 scorpions in her suitcase. Yikes! Mama, Mama Scorpion, and 17 babies. Hoo-hoo-hoo! Um, the local animal rescue center says that the scorpions were secured <laughs> and handed over to them where they are currently being held until they start their return journey to Croatia. I don't know if Croatia wants them back, but that's, can you imagine uh, getting home Going to unpack and discovering 18 scorpions in your luggage. Yikes. <clears throat> Speaking of travel, I thought this was kind of interesting. A story out of uh, California. In the Redwood National, uh, Redwood National Park, there is a tree named Hyperion. It is the oldest tree in the world. The oldest tree in the world. But you can't visit it. You can't get anywhere near it. Uh, apparently, uh, Hyperion has seen a surge of vid uh, visitors since 2006. And unfortunately, more visitors mean more damage to the tree and the surrounding area. So the park has closed all access to the world's oldest tree uh, in the park because they don't want to uh, want to damage it. 
Anyone caught in the vicinity, the vicinity of the tree could be facing jail time and a $5,000 fine. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what's the point then? <laughs> I mean, I understand it's the world's oldest tree, and that's really cool. But at the end of the day, it's only a tree. Um, <laughs> I mean, that is kind of antithetical to the whole idea of the national parks, which is not just preserving these treasures for the sake of preserving them. It's to preserve them so that everyone can enjoy and appreciate them. And if you can't get anywhere close to the thing, what is the point? I don't get it. But anyway, just kind of interesting. Uh, elsewhere in the uh, broken news, <laughs> the town center in Kent, England, uh, recently discovered that they were growing weed in public on public grounds completely by accident. <laughs> Uh, apparently, a flower display outside of the town center in Kent, England, <laughs> someone discovered that there was a marijuana plant in the middle of the flower bed <laughs> outside public hall. <laughs> it says no one has been arrested for planting the marijuana as of yet. Police recalled and, and pulled the plant. Nobody has been arrested. Uh, according to... One local official, it's either someone playing games or it just happened to be among the other seeds that they planted. They're not really sure. <laughs> That's embarrassing. <laughs> All right. It's funny that nobody noticed it. Uh, apparently for a while. An Alabama woman is accused. Uh, now, if you have issues, I think we all have a family member that we have issues with, right? Everyone has someone in their family that they don't get along with. Maybe it's a distant relative. Maybe it's someone as close as a sibling. But this is taking that to an extreme. I mean, I've heard of sibling rivalries, but an Alabama woman is accused of stabbing her sister with a screwdriver. Samantha Erickson stabbed her sister after the two got into a fight. About food. <laughs> That's all it says. It was a fight about food. Must have been some fight. The incident happened over the weekend at the siblings' home in Florence, Alabama. Ms. Erickson was charged with assault. The victim expected to fully recover. Wow. <laughs> but I guess they probably won't be holding a family reunion anytime soon, I wouldn't think. Weird. Um, <laughs> this is in Brazil, international file of the uh, broken news. If you were unhappy with your nose, chances are you would either A, learn to live with it, or B, go to a cosmetic surgeon, you know, if you have the money to do so. But then there's this guy who chose door number three. He wanted to. He didn't like his nose, but he wanted to save a couple of bucks by performing his own rhinoplasty. <laughs> Do-it-yourself plastic surgery. Um, this man and his name is not given in the report. Uh, he ended up in the emergency room after he tried to do a plastic surgeon's job. He fired up some YouTube videos. <laughs> YouTube how-to videos. I didn't know that there were videos on YouTube on how to do plastic surgery on yourself, but apparently there are. 
So he fired up some of those videos, grabbed a tube of super glue, and got to work. <laughs> uh, the man from Sao Paulo, Brazil, did not use gloves on his self-conducted surgery or clean the surgery spot after he was done because apparently he didn't want to disturb the stitches he had sewn into himself. Oh, man. After predictably developing an infection... He was shuttled to the local emergency care unit where the hospital said after being welcomed by the mental health medical team, the patient underwent care uh, by uh, the uh, on-staff plastic surgeons, uh, reconstructive surgeons. They cleaned the wound, bandaged, and provided guidance on the necessary care. Uh, What the report doesn't say is whether he was actually satisfied with his own nose job. Did it, did it turn on? Uh, doctors are begging those who would like uh, plastic surgery to have it done professionally. Probably a good idea. And finally, in the broken news this morning, this out of uh, Mexico, where a woman finally, finally has had one of her final wishes fulfilled. A massive statue. What she wanted was a massive statue of a certain part of the male anatomy right there at her gravesite. Caterina <laughs> uh, Orduña Perez died in 2021. And while she had long talked about having such a statue at her gravesite, her family didn't think she was serious until she drove the point home in her final years. She insisted that that's what she wanted. So her family said, all right. And recently they unveiled the new addition to her gravesite uh, over the weekend, a five and a half foot (laughs) male member weighing 600 pounds. (laughs) It took a team of 12 people nearly a month to build the statue. At one point, uh, they got delayed trying to get the shape just right. (laughs) This year. <laughs> oh my goodness. I want to see the looks on uh, other visitors to the uh, cemetery when, <laughs> when they come across that particular grave. There you go. That is today's broken news report. <laughs> this update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less. Of Hancock County Veterans Services, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Information, great talk, and so much more. It's all part of weekday mornings on WFIN. This morning with Gordon Deal at 5 a.m. Then, Chris Oaks brings you good mornings from 6 till 9. The Brian Kilmeade Show from 9 till 11. And then a full hour of news, sports, plus the O'Reilly Update on the WFIN Midday Report from 11 till noon. Spend your weekday mornings right here and stay informed. 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Uh, The numbers for June are in, and inflation continues to take a bigger and bigger bite out of our grocery bill. Grocery store and supermarket food purchases were up 12.2%. Um, But that's not to say that we're buying more stuff. It's just that things are costing more. As a matter of fact, we may even be buying less stuff because of inflation. But 
Uh, Grocery store and supermarket food purchases up 12.2% in June. Multiple factors to blame. The war in Ukraine, labor market shortages, natural disasters, avian flu in the... the, among uh, poultry, uh, causing poultry shortages, just to uh, list a few uh, issues. Unfortunately, price increases may cause American families to cut back on healthier foods, which tend to be more expensive and opt for lower quality dishes. The price of rice increased by 11.9%, bread by 10.8%, poultry 17.3% higher. New analysis from the Pew Research Center suggests changing jobs is a good way to get a pay boost. 60% of workers who switched jobs between April of 2021 and March of this year saw their earnings increase by almost 10%. So a pretty good chance that if you switch jobs, you're going to get a pay boost of um, about 10%. Loyalty, though, does not seem to pay. Only 47% of those who stuck with their jobs, their current employer, saw a pay increase. So less than half. (laughs) You get a pay increase if you switch jobs, uh, but not if you stay in the job that you have, according to uh, the uh, numbers. When you take inflation into account, they say 1.7% of workers actually experienced a drop in income would suggest that those numbers might even be higher than that with uh, inflation at 9%. There aren't a whole lot of places that are increasing pay by 9%. And again, if you your best shot at getting that kind of increase is actually to switch jobs. <laughs> Michelle Rimslag is here from the uh, Hancock Park District. We were just talking that, uh, you know, now we get into the month of August and things start to get really, really busy. Uh, I know your kids, you get back into, uh, back into the swing of things. Yes. You know, practices and band and sports and, sports you know, all and of those all things. That. It's, and, it is. It's still yeah. summer and they still have, because they go to Liberty Event, so they have all of August off. Right. Off in quotes. Right. We don't go back to school. But, but there, so many other things There's so on. many yeah. things. Right. And, and so it's. Right, everybody's kind you of away right after Reddit from summer camp into back to school. It is, <laughs> so. but we still have you know there's still summer things and to do in, in the park. And so that's what we want to talk I about. I think people get into you know, or maybe you've like, oh my gosh, summer flew by. I didn't get to go do whatever with my kid or right. get out and enjoy the parks. So I think you know maybe they forget about August because it is. You're just kind of getting back into. Yeah. School shopping and clothes and... Yeah, the mindset is is toward the fall, but still yes. a lot of summer uh, left to go, even though we are you know starting to wind down a little bit. Still plenty to do, programs and activities and so on. What is going yes. on in the month of August? Well, just to remind everybody that our Zonta Landing uh, boat rentals, of course, are still going strong here um, through the month of August. And then our last weekend is Labor Day weekend. Okay. So, And we will be open Labor Day that Monday. So... Again, everybody will be into, like I said, we'll have, you know, football games will be started and, and it'll be kind of into school mode. But, mm-hmm. you know, take a break on that weekend. Right. And come out. So one o'clock t- till seven, um, cash or check. But just to let everybody know, yeah, you know. Spend we, a lazy day on the river. Right. And then, yeah. so, you know, maybe, you know, and I know some of you are going back to school here in just a few weeks, but you can still get your summer fixing on the weekend and join us in take a kayak or right. a boat and enjoy the water. So just yep. wanted to put that that out there. Um, we have some archery programs coming up 
Um, actually, even this week. And so we do, of course, our instructional stuff for different age groups. And we have a teens one happening this Thursday, August 4th. And it's at 630. And of course, all of our archery takes place at Oakwood's Nature Preserve in our Dold Lake area. And that is where you, that front parking lot, you park there. And then there's a big sign that kind of goes to the northwest, I guess. And it says Dold Lake this way. And you head there. And that's where our archery takes place. Um, it's $10 a person. We just need you to register by four o'clock that day. Um, I will be having it. I've got a couple of teens already signed up. Okay. So this is for ages um, 14 to 17. So again, want to come out, um, learn how to shoot a bow. Maybe you've done it before. Just want to come out and stuff. So uh, that'll be taking place on Thursday. And then on Friday, August 5th, for those that have done it before, we do uh, what we call archery open shoots. And so as long as you've had the instruction with us, um, we'll just give you a brief reminder of, of whistle commands and stuff, and mm-hmm. then you can just shoot. So maybe, you know, you did it a couple years ago, you know, earlier in the season. You just need to have a class with us before. And so this is ages 9 and up. So, um, again, just need taking a okay. course before. Very so good. 6.30 Friday, again, $10. Just need to register by 4 o'clock. Um, and we do have a limit. We have five targets, so we do 10 people. So that way, five are shooting. One group can take a break, and we just kind of flip-flop that way. Okay. Um, and then we will be, I guess, if you're like, oh, I can't make those, we are going to have some archery opportunities um, still in September and October. Okay. So fall program are, programs are not on the calendar yet or on the website. I'm, I'm hoping to have September's at least by the end of this week. But um, we're still in the kind of proofing, gotcha. getting everything figured out phase. Okay. But just know we are still doing uh, September, October. Okay. November, usually it's if you weather the and we, we, we quit that. Yeah. So just know that's All taking right. place. What else is going then. on? What's all, What else is on the schedule here? Um, on Monday, um, August 15th, we have our monthly discovery story. And so I like this title. It's Nature's Dining Hall. So this is Nature's about hall. Okay. animals and what they eat. <laughs> All right. Because they eat a variety of things. So, like, part of the write-up is, of course, birds eat worms, wasps eat beetles, raccoons like eggs. I mean, animals obviously eat all different kinds of stuff. Some are very specific. Some are generalists, like raccoons. I mean, what does a raccoon not eat? Let's be honest. <laughs> exactly. And so, um, this is for kids ages three to five with an adult. Of course, they're at 10 o'clock and 1 o'clock. Um, other age siblings can come. So, of course, you'll have a story, activities. Um, there'll be a craft. And so, um, yes, Monday, December 15th, or December, good Lord, Monday, August, <laughs> jumping ahead. I'm not thinking of snow. You yeah. know, I love my snow, but no, I don't need it in August. <laughs> Monday, August, I saw Discovery. That's I think where I got me wrong. August 15th, our Discovery story is at 10 and 1 okay. at Oakwoods Nature Preserve. All right. Uh, elsewhere on the calendar? Um, something for younger kids also that we've got um, on Wednesday, August 24th. And this is going to be painting with nature paintbrushes. And so this is using um, pine needles and leaves and different things to paint a picture. Hmm. So I did, um, one thing I did with one of my camps, we used cattail heads. It's like a paint roller. And that worked phenomenal. We were trying to paint like camouflage colors. And so that works, you know, really neat. So kind of thinking outside the box, maybe this will inspire you to find things in your backyard to just, you know, get a little paint and be okay. different than your just, you know, your little, little creativity. Unleash right. your creativity there. Exactly. So this is going to take place um, at 11 o'clock at Litzenberg Memorial Woods in our shelter. It's for ages 6 to 10 with an adult. There's no cost. 
We just need you to register um, the day before. Um, and I know we've got um, quite a few kids scheduled. So I think there's okay. just a few openings. But again, it's one of those that, you know, want to bring the kids out to something a little bit different. Or maybe you've got somebody that's a little more artistic and, and want to do some something where they can nature. do something with their hands. Right. Yeah. Right. So we'll have a variety of, again, of nature paintbrushes. Okay. So that's Wednesday, August 24th. All right. Very good. Uh, anything else to uh, highlight here uh, among the programs in August? You know, we, again, we just got a lot of activities going on. So some are for all ages. We have our open houses, but then we have, you know, age specific programs. So we've got the three and under and three to five and elementary age, middle school and teens and then adults only. And I know we've had people like, well, why do we have those specific ages? It's because one, you know, kids and adults want to be with their peers and, and for our teaching ability. I mean, we teach adults way different than we would teach sure. five-year-olds. So right. some things work to have all ages be there, mm-hmm. but, but like the painting thing, you know, it's, again, we do think about it and, you know, there's there's a method to why we have yeah. certain ages because the information you know, we could teach the same subject to everybody, but how we teach it right. is definitely age-specific. Right. So that's why we do have our... And, and we've got a variety. And, You've noticed we've really increased our, our programming. Yeah. And so there's going to be something for an age group in your family to and be there able to is, do something. And there are things that are geared for the entire family to yes. come out So we still have our too. open houses. So, we have our night yeah. hikes. And so there's some things that, right, that still work. For that, but, you know, just like in school, you want to teach for certain ages. And exactly. so that's what we want to do also. So all of that stuff uh, for all of the various ages uh, is up on the website, right, for the month of August? Yes, HancockParks.com. And there's also on that front page, if you scroll down um, for August, if you want a quick print off of all of the programs, there's, okay. it's a PDF, so you don't have to scroll through the calendar. You can print that off and then look here soon for... Um, all of the fall programming and also just thought of our hike it is returning i think this is the eighth year um of course that'll return the beginning of september all right but i'll be back at the end of the month to talk about all things fall we will before we know it <laughs> start to start to think about that yeah. but again don't let uh, the final waning weeks of summer pass you by without getting out to the parks michelle rimschlag with us uh, this morning the hancock park district thanks very much for dropping by we appreciate it thanks for having me And then we'll finish up the podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. Check it out, goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, the governor has described the impact of the CHIPS Act as transformative for our state. How will that impact be felt right here in Northwest Ohio? We'll talk with the Economic Development Director, Tim Miley. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.